0: Welcome back to Brazil Crypto Report. Today I'm joined by Robert Matarazzi, who's the CEO of Luca. We talk about Luca's role as an integral data services provider in crypto markets and why these services are needed as traditional financial institutions adopt the technology. Lastly, we talk about why he's so excited about Brazil. Great. So we're here today with Robert, who's the CEO of Luca. We're coming to you in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Robert, great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Amazing. Um, so why don't you just kind of get started. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and Luca?
1: So I, uh, I joined Luca in 2018. From I was at PwC and in the military before that, uh, working in banking capital markets, a lot of technology programs, and, and had, a, uh, had built-in expertise in operational risk management and all the technology risk management. Which has become very very important to uh, to the crypto ecosystem since it's all uh, built on top of technology and um, and it w- Luca was at an earlier earlier stage then had a software product they were building the first enterprise software to do portfolio management and general financial reporting for any businesses that had crypto on balance sheet or in their portfolios and this was forming uh, Really, after the, <clears throat> the ICO boom in 2016, 2017, when all these crypto funds emerged, this was following all the demand from fund administrators and mm-hmm. auditors. And we did it with uh, institutional controls, which was really the first of its kind. And we got um, a lot of risk frameworks that help our customers trust us. And so that was the, uh, the beginning of Luca, which obviously we've um, come a long way since then.
0: Yeah, amazing, amazing. Uh, yeah, it's a funny story. I, kinda, I remember. Back to the early days of Luca, I knew like the founders, Jake Benson and Jeremy, Mm -hmm. kind of going back, uh, probably back to like 2016, 2017, just Mm -hmm. having interviewed them when I was at CoinDesk and whatnot. I think I actually sat next to Jake Benson at the Coin Mm -hmm. Center dinner in, I think it was 2019, and he was telling me that they were changing the name of the company from Mm -hmm. Libra, and he was saying right. that some, not some, like whale buyer came and offered them just <laughs> like a gazillion dollars for the domain name of Libra, yeah. and then we later found out that it was actually Facebook. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So it was confidential. So that was that might
0: have been the best ever uh, domain name squat of all time, I suppose. <laughs> for, you know, whoever owned that it was probably which was not by design. <laughs> it was just a coincidence.
1: Yeah.
0: So, um, so anyway, so um, very, very, uh, you know, been kind of following you guys for over the years and just seeing kind of the evolution. So it's, it's been kind of mm-hmm. cool to see how it's. I think it originally started as just. I think Jake was just, you know, he had made a bunch of money in crypto and needed to pay money mm-hmm. and pay his taxes, couldn't, That's there's right. no easy solution for how to do it. So he just sought, you know, started building a solution for... Yeah, for it's
1: a retail tax calculator, but yeah. it was the first one that was cross-asset. So that yeah. was the, the differentiator around it, because Ripple, actually, Ripple Labs was uh, some of their first seed money. Oh, really? In, uh, back in, yeah, maybe oh, not, not as in. many people know that. But, yeah. <laughs> did not realize that. And so, uh, and they said, hey, it's not only about Bitcoin. Right. It's going to be a, a multi-asset ecosystem. Mm. And so that was one of the original way before we were even an institutional company. Yeah. So that's way yeah. back in, yeah, in the 2014, early days. 2015. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's almost mm-hmm. 10 years now. Yeah. So that's interesting how it's kind of evolved from just more of like a almost like a you know, turbo tax for crypto type of product into a mm-hmm. much broader. We're not that today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely not that today. Right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, maybe just talk a bit about, you know, thinking through, like, what are the product suites? What's the product suite that you offer? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you guys offering? How do you guys think about customers, customer segmentation?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: what do you offer and who's using this?
1: So we're a, a data company first, whether it's uh, a customer of our software, which is really just doing data management. Um, so it's not tax, but tax is one of the outputs, um, but it's also accounting, books and records. It could be any stakeholder reporting, um, really any type of financial reporting holistically. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had built a lot of proprietary data products to make our software work back uh, um, before we were selling the data itself. And it started with a reference data product, which is fixing all the ticker symbols and standardizing all of the, the very um, decentralized data that exists in the, in the crypto ecosystem right. that existed without any standard setters for the first decade right. or <laughs> so. Um, and, uh, and so that was, that was something that we did that was very unique and it was the precursor to us actually launching data products And so really uh, what we did is we listened to our customers who who were telling us about a bunch of problems that they had. And it started with holding crypto data, which our software helps to manage because you need proper decimal place precision and things like that. And then it led to standardization problems, which led to our Mm -hmm. reference data product. And then our Luca Prime product, which is now a, a flagship one, um, used by S&P, uh, Dow Jones Indices um, and a number of other, uh, you know, several hundred crypto funds around the world use it in various ways for post reporting purposes. And uh, and really the problem that we had is that a lot of companies were using some form of an average or an index or a VWAP for post trade operations, which contradicts accounting guidelines and you need to use an executed price. And so mm-hmm. Luca Prom- Prime in a uh, um, very intelligent way solves that problem using a unique methodology, and that really uh, helped us launch our data our data business. It's uh, and that products used by a lot of the big crypto exchanges today, and in um, a lot of big big uh, traditional financial institutions as well. Um, State Street, which is publicly known, and, and a lot of their peers. Um, and so from there, we built a ton of derived data products off of those two that are that are. Uh, foundational for us. And so we have a full quantitative research team. We do implied interest rates, volatility surfaces. Mm-hmm. Um, Greeks will do risk models. We're now a calculation agents. We're evaluation agents. And so it's really everything, though, centered around mature data to support all trade operations.
0: No, it's super interesting. I, and I think it's something that maybe the industry took for granted the first sort of 10 years of its existence is mm-hmm. that Know, traditional finance you've had this infrastructure of these robust data products and services and apis integrations and mm-hmm. the ability to create derivative you know kind of derive other products off of these data sets and these, these this availability and it's something we you know people just kind of take take granted that mm-hmm. it just it just sort of works right but like you have to build That's this right. stuff from scratch right like somebody has to build this thing uh if you're talking about a whole new asset mm-hmm. class that that, is, that lives on blockchain rails mm-hmm. and um we'd love to kind of talk through you know you guys have some some interesting partners that you work with, uh, both in terms of clients. I mean, S and P, uh, Dow Jones. I mean, you have some interesting investors in your cap table as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of these names are not people that you'd assist, normally associate with being, you know, crypto friendly mm-hmm. or crypto companies or even involved in crypto in any way. And um, I think you guys started rolling out some of these names back in you know two three years ago. And we'd just be interested to get kind of your vantage point on, you know. How are these folks approaching the industry, mm-hmm. and w- what does it mean that there is this? You know, you guys are kind of sitting at the center of the you know the Venn diagram of kind of the tradfi and the crypto universe, and, um, and maybe talk a bit about what's like living at that at the center of that.
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're very thankful to all of our our shareholders, and like you mentioned, we've got some very um, well established traditional names. I mean, State Street, uh, S P, um, and Marshall uh, Waste, and 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 tons of others. Um, uh, cpa.com, which is a subsidiary of the AICPA, and, uh, and we, we try to partner with all of them. <clears throat> I'd say the common theme is they're all focused on um, mature technology solutions for the future of, of this very disruptive technology that we all believe is gonna change the world. And that's a very long process. Like you mentioned, back in 2018, we received an AICPA uh, SOC 1 Type 2 um, attestation from a top 10 auditor and we were the first in the industry to do it. No one really knew what it was mm-hmm. back then, honestly, in the crypto industry. And um, uh, we were a bit early, honestly, I'd say less companies cared about it, but some of the very big ones did. So we kind of started with very big companies first, like Circle, mm-hmm. um, as customers. And, uh, and now today though, that's really benefited us because it's what our customers know us, it's associated with our brands, yeah. we've expanded that. Now we've got ISO certifications, we've got our Luca Prime product is certified under uh, IOSCO principles for financial benchmarks. And, and we're continuing to try to um, add more ways to, to help customers trust us. Um, and it, it streamlines things like the sales process as well. Because if you're doing a very clunky risk assessment, yeah. it can take a long time. Where instead, if you hand them a nice clean report that an auditor made for you, it saves the time. But it gives them the same confidence that the products are going to do what they should do. Right, right, so. right.
0: So having having that that sort of uniform standardization of of mm-hmm. that you would expect in you know a more traditional asset class or more traditional right. market setting, uh, basically mm-hmm. applying that into the into this this new kind of wild west of crypto has, has right. done quite a bit to, you know, induce some of these larger players mm-hmm. to to start getting involved in some capacity, mm-hmm. um, and um, just kind of curious as to you know talking just focusing on your U.S. business for a moment here, but. You know, we've had a lot of talk about ETFs. You know, this summer there's been a lot of kind of drama around this. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, tell us a bit about how you know how does this stand to impact your business? Like, mm-hmm. should we ultimately get an ETF? You know, spot Bitcoin ETF approved, or maybe you're already involved in some of the you know the, the futures ETFs that are already in existence. But how are you guys involved in this capacity?
1: Um, very directly, our, our data is supporting a lot of the different um, ETF applications that you've seen in the press, um, or in some cases, we're supporting businesses with software and back office operations or all of the above it really just depends on where their where their priorities are or how far along they are towards actually launching a product like that i know we're waiting for all the spot ATFs to be to get uh to get some approvals yeah um and um and we're um very excited about all of our our partners that are using our data so along that that journey Um, there's a about a thousand crypto funds around the world um that already use lucas products and so, um, but not that have gained, you know, approvals in the United States or, you know, some of the ones that, that everybody's very anxious to see or from, uh, from some of the more, more, more traditional names that have filed ETF applications lately. So we're kind of waiting for that next phase of, of all of this, which, which hopefully will benefit everybody, market conditions. and. And so on. So we're seeing yeah. a lot of momentum right now, though.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So. Yeah. So it's, everyone's kind of uh, still at the starting line, essentially, kind of getting getting all their ducks in a row, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then once once these
1: I kind of feel like more it's on almost on the finish line oh. in a way. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, mean, I think it's been a long journey up <laughs> yeah. to now. Yeah, and I know once maybe. they get started, I mean, that might feel like the starting line again, yeah. but maybe it's a new one. I mean, I guess it's the right. finish line for everybody <laughs> who's intimately involved. It's a starting line for kind right. of the, you know, everybody else in the market who's just sort of mm-hmm. observing
0: this and like wondering what's going to finally happen. But it's right? many
1: years in the works yeah, to get yeah. all of these companies to where they are. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think even just the, um, I, I mean, I, I remember... One of the first articles I ever wrote in crypto was about the, I think it was like March 2017, about the the Winklevoss twins, mm-hmm. you know, ETF getting rejected. And Jeez, I forgot was, about that. And right. they were the first ones to apply, and I think they were also the first ones to get rejected. Mm-hmm. And then over the, you know, the ensuing year or two, we had, you know, a bunch of more applications, a bunch more rejections. And it kind of got to the point where, like, you could tell the SEC was just sort of like copying and pasting language from their rejection letters into... Mm-hmm. And then I, would, I was trying to do some more reporting on it, and all my sources would just say, I was like, hey, can I get some reaction to this, you know, this ETF rejection? And they're like, same thing I sent you like a year ago still mm-hmm. applies today. So like, there's nothing yeah. new to add. It's tricky. But like,
1: it's a lot of education, I think, yeah. that had to take place. I mean, trying to manage risk when it comes to all these, when um, there's so many intricacies along the way to figure that out, Yeah. so. Um, but I, so I, I, it, it feels to me like the, just the,
0: the evolution of the, the actors that you're seeing getting involved in this process is really this is, you know, you're going from the Winklevoss twins where these kind of wild west mm-hmm. internet entrepreneurs, all of a sudden you have BlackRock and Fidelity and all these guys. Mm-hmm. And um, just even if we haven't seen what's approved yet. We still have just the names that are getting involved and showing interest is like pretty significant itself and it's, it's we do we
1: have it. five of the top 10 largest asset managers in the world that are uh have announced plans yeah they're doing great. something in in crypto and uh and all of them are are using luca products in some way wow which is exciting
0: yeah so. very exciting well congratulations on that that's pretty <laughs> cool <laughs> and then Maybe let's talk a bit about, uh, but like your your fundraising history, your kind of your cap table. I think sure. you guys have gone through. I think last time I saw you had raised um, it was like 110 million in a Series E. In our most recent round. Most recent, maybe a year and a half ago or so, Yep. Um, at like 1.3 billion valuation, which mm-hmm. is which is pretty sizable, obviously. Um, but I'd love to just kind of talk through, uh, you know, who who are the investors, who are the folks that have have been supporting you guys, mm-hmm. and um, you know, obviously there's a lot of. It's not just like kind of VC bro crypto fund pit type people. These are mm-hmm. you know bunch more you know kind of Wall Street type entities. Yeah. Uh, maybe just talk a bit about like who's who's backing you at this point.
1: Sure. Yeah, we did um, really in about an eighteen month period for fundraises, and this was during the twenty twenty one momentum where I think a lot of companies had similar um, similar momentum. So we we were very thankful to take advantage of market conditions. I mean, really all the customers that we got twenty twenty one was a very good year for us. We had we had spent a lot of 2020 rebuilding our products and launching our first data products. And so mm-hmm. that was a very, I'd say uh, a very hard at work, but internally year for us. Um, and we closed that year out with State Street leading our, our Series C round um, and SMP joining our cap table at that time as well, which was all announced publicly. Um, and along with CPA.com, which was another big, big partner of ours. And then we, um, um, uh, closed another uh, couple rounds after that, you know, some of the, I'd say, the, the more publicly known names that we have it um, Marshall Waste, Miami International Holdings, um, and, uh, and that helped us really scale our company with pretty simple objectives. It was future-proofing our products. So it was actually a lot of more internal work to, to build more resiliency. So data quality is a big piece of that and um, um, improving more attestations and everything, like I mentioned earlier, and then going global and truly creating a global footprint because this Mm. ecosystem, um, it's global. It's not going to operate in a silo in any in any one region, right? It's it's truly global global inherently. Yeah. And so uh, you know we recognize if we're really going to be impactful in the in the ecosystem, you have to be a global company. Yeah. And so we've opened up offices in um, uh, Switzerland, Singapore. We have people in London, Poland, um, Hong Kong, Dubai, um, and in um, continuing to do that um, over the next couple of years.
0: Great, great. Um, and then. I guess one one final question, just about Luca specifically, but I'm just really kind of curious as to, like, what do you guys see as like your secret sauce here? Where mm-hmm. there's been a lot of these, not sound like condescending here, but there's been a lot of these kind of like crypto tax companies that have popped up over the years. Sure, and uh,
1: I've lost know, track of how many. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and you've probably acquired some <laughs> of them, I would mm-hmm. But like. There's a lot of these guys that have popped up over the years, and and, and you guys started doing this uh, in your origin, and but you've really evolved the business into something that's just much much grander. And you've and I think just the folks that you have on your cap table and, the, and your fundraising history really kind of backs some of that up, and the and the clients that you have um, uh, in your rolodex at this point. And I mean, I mean, what is it that really has like <laughs> separated you guys from the the other folks that are? It's in this area.
1: a pretty simple answer and I mean there's a lot of great companies out there so this isn't knocking any of the other ones I think we just compete in a bit of in a different arena than most of them um, and it's it's simply the institutional standards that we do and that's not just one framework that does that right it's a more the cultural values that we've established the team that we've hired um, we're, we're trying to do things the right way we're not looking for a quick exit we're not looking for a quick um, um, Payday, we're, we're trying to build a very long-term, mature data business. Mm. And so I'd say that, that along with the, um, an appreciation for, for true risk management is, uh, is built into our cultural values. And then that ripples into a lot of our different activities when it comes to product development, when it comes to interacting with customers, when we fumble and we maybe mess something up and there's a bug in our product, right? All technology has problems, but how you address those problems and how you cater to the customers and respond to it, is usually what makes the difference mm. so we spent a lot of time in our customer support processes making sure that we're we're partners to our customers and not just a vendor and um, and so I think it's all those things that that really uh, um, helps our customers trust us more and more particularly the institutional ones we're not we're a b2b company we're not a we're not a we're not focused on retail markets so but all of our customers are focused on retail markets so it's a lot of helping them service their customers got it got it so Let's pivot the discussion here to Brazil and Latin America specifically. We're obviously in
0: Sao Paulo right now. You're here with your team, uh, having some meetings this week. Uh, Just tell us a bit, like, why are you interested in Brazil? Like, what are you doing here? Who have you been talking to?
1: So we're very, very excited about Brazil and the market here. Um, We spent the last couple days in Brasilia. Um, We did meet with the um, central banking regulator, um, had some great, you know, very initial conversations with them. Um, It's very exciting seeing their support for, for the general adoption of digital assets um, and, uh, and all of the businesses and mature businesses that are out here. Um, and so we're, uh, the market speaks for itself um, down here. And we, honestly, I've, uh, I've been doing a lot of, just personally, a lot of traveling to a lot of our different customer locations around the world over the last three months or so, um, all the way out to Hong Kong and Singapore and, and um, um, a lot of time in Europe as well. And the momentum that we're seeing in Brazil—I mean, I, I put it in the top three, mm. probably that I've that I've seen—and um, uh, and so we're building a team down here. We're um, in a ton of commercial conversations and have been for a while. And so we're really looking forward to supporting the markets down here with with everything that they're doing. I mean, we know there's going to be a lot of uh, learning, and and there's uh, regulators are, are are putting together their initial frameworks and everything. But it, it's. Uh, it's very exciting the way that they're doing it. I think all the right questions, in my opinion, are being asked and, and, um, and so we're very excited.
0: Yeah, yeah, and we'd love a bit more, maybe a bit more color to the extent you can talk about it just on, on some of those conversations you've had with particularly the central bank folks. I mean, I think they've mm-hmm. got a pretty good reputation as being, they've really done their homework on a lot of these issues mm-hmm. and um, they're, they're both technically savvy as well mm-hmm. as just savvy about just this, this particular market and asset class. Um, we just love a bit more kind of color on those conversations to the extent you can, you sure. can talk about it.
1: Yeah, and of course I want to respect and not not speaking for them or anything, but I'd say generally all the conversations were very thoughtful, very positive, um, very inquisitive, um, uh, very good questions. It's not I wouldn't say they're they were not basic questions. They were they're much farther down their journey and and definitely asking some of the more intricate ones that are going to be important when putting together any regulatory frameworks. So. I'd say we've had all, all great interactions and with a lot of the other uh, companies outside the regulators and, and the many law firms and um, yeah, that uh, that we've been interacting with out here I mean there's a, there's a ton of great um, firms and businesses that are that are supporting all of that along the way so we're seeing it you know outside of the, the regulators specifically as well sure sure and um, where do you see just in terms of kind of maybe immediate
0: term to medium term product market fit for what you guys have to offer in your product suite mm-hmm. in the market here, like what do you see as, what's the, what's the maybe what's the, what's the, sure. what, what, what kind of fits like a glove?
1: You know, it, it really depends on the type of business. So our, our products service uh, a lot of different pieces of the puzzles depending on what we're doing. If there's a company that has crypto on balance sheet or in their portfolio, there's usually a way that we can support them with our software. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe even with some of the data products too, depending on what the nature of their business is. If it's a TradeFi type of business or a prop desk or any of the companies that are in that category, um, we're usually having uh, conversations about our various data products um, and that varies also depending if they're trading derivatives or spot markets or if they're uh, servicing wealth management customers or they're building an internal funds. You know, it all varies a little bit, but it's all centered around data that they can trust or if we're managing their data for them, it's it's uh, they're relying on us to make sure that it's clean and as accurate as it can be so that they can rely on the the outputs in the form of all the financial reports. And so it's uh, really the same thing we're servicing the rest of the world with um, and um, and not, not very different. It just, uh, yeah. but it does depend. We, we service a very broad set of customer segments. Sure, um, sure. But I don't think that's, that's really a Luca intricacy. It's more of an intricacy of, of, of crypto or digital assets. I mean, it yeah. it doesn't touch one industry. It literally touches all businesses potentially long term, right? Which right. is you know a little bit more forward looking, but sure, but sure. it is that broad. So,
0: but do you see um, like what do you see as the, the challenge of you know moving into a new market in your particular? Like mm-hmm. on one hand, you could argue like the standardization and kind of data products and services are all <coughs> like can be kind of the same, like anywhere you go, sure. it's like a global thing, but then obviously every market's a little bit different. There's different Absolutely. accounting rules, there's different, you know, kind of standards and there's different, you know, kind of the details are different, mm-hmm. but the, the general principles are the same. Like, you know,
1: how the accounting rules and the regulation and the tax rules and all that, I think that's the easy, the easy part, honestly. I mean, sure, there's gonna be differences on the different frameworks and the different laws that are passed and everything. Um, but I'd say when going global, it's, it's more about the people and the cultural values that you have to really uh, be thoughtful and mindful of, right? I mean, every, the, it's a big world. There's there's lots of different yeah. um, personalities and cultural values and everything, and so um, it's very hard to be global in a in a remote way. Like you have to, you have to be in person and visit. You know, and particularly I'd say outside of the United States, you have to do that a lot more, a um, lot more about relationship building and and uh, and those types of things. And so we're we're trying to be uh, very thoughtful about that and building teams. That can help our partners in their local markets, and they're not just talking to us across time zones and things like right, that. Right. So I'd say that's more of the focus, honestly. Than, I mean, when it comes to supporting in a local currency, that's easy. Our product is already; it's been built to be global from from the um, uh, from its foundation. So it's uh, it's much more about the people, I'd say, and the cultural values. Got it. Got it. So having just you know decreased reliance on Zoom calls, more just kind of personal mm-hmm.
0: interactions and just making sure the customer is, you know, they're, right. they're getting the they're getting maximum value out of the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that obviously that's going to, how that looks is going to differ across cultures essentially. Absolutely. So, um, and then maybe, you know, over the next kind of, you know, six, 12 months as you guys are expanding your presence here, um, maybe just talk a bit about like, who are the folks you're looking to, um, you know, talk to, who are the folks you're looking to get in touch with or, mm-hmm. or you're looking to get in touch with you? Um, like what, what's kind of your, your target customer segment here? Yeah, I
1: mean, anybody that's driving revenue around digital assets very generically. So that could be a an investment vehicle like a fund. Um, we're, you know, that's a huge segment of ours. We're very comfortable having those conversations and we can usually um, offer some just informal pointers and, and, and feedback with, with any of those types of partners. Um, exchanges, There's I know there's a lot of the, traditional banks and there's also a lot of more crypto-native startups and we're, we're in a lot of great conversations with all of them. And so we, we welcome those from, from any that we aren't talking to, of course, already. Um, and uh, um, usually I'd say when, when we end up closing a deal and actually supporting someone, it's once they've launched a business, maybe a little bit before, if mm-hmm. they're thinking a bit ahead. Um, and But usually once they're, they're building revenue, and um or, or gaining revenue and, and have actually launched whatever product that they're building whether it's an exchange or a fund or a, maybe a payment business but there's there's applications in a way that we can support really all those different use cases got so. it got it and then maybe to conclude here um we just love kind of your your
0: big picture take on maybe just kind of the state of the market right now and mm-hmm. you you up a pretty interesting place like you're obviously you kind of you know one foot in crypto land one RadFi land, and you kind of mm-hmm. sit at this kind of unique spot in the in the Venn diagram, so to speak. And um, I mean, we're at kind of a tough point in the market right now. Things, you know, there's some reasons for optimism. There's some reasons for mm-hmm. pessimism, I guess. Um, but what are you most optimistic about right now? What are you, where are you seeing maybe light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak? Mm-hmm. Or where are you, what right. are you optimistic about that maybe other people are kind of gloomy and gloomy about?
1: Yeah, I mean, 2022 is a tough year for the whole, the whole industry or the ecosystem, um, and I think a lot of companies have finally reset and have recovered from that. I mean, we, and we know we saw a lot of co- companies, unfortunately, that, that weren't able to recover and that were affected, you know, by a number of these different uh, failures last year. But now we're seeing a lot of them finally come back. Maybe they're coming back in a smaller footprint, but it seems like they're starting to run again. Yeah. We're starting to see a couple hints of of more fundraises and some some capital. I think that capital is very, very hard to get right now, for sure. Um, But we're seeing more volatility in the market. It's usually good for for some of the the businesses out there. And um, I'm hoping that we're getting to the tail end of any of the insolvent companies and bankruptcies that that stemmed from the the 2022 failures. And um, um, and I'm very much looking forward. I think we're we saw a lot of momentum starting at the beginning of Q three, generally, and even just an uptick in our customer demand. Right, we've been closing more deals, which is a good indication. And just in the last month or so, so, essentially. Yeah, I'd say even starting as as soon as end of end of June, beginning of July, mm. um, and they're smaller deal sizes than usual, but that makes sense in the current you know economic conditions. Um, but there's a, there's a ton of momentum going on. I mean, in Hong Kong, ton of momentum. In Singapore, there's a lot. In yeah. Europe, um, we're seeing a lot of different regions starting to move. I think I'm, I'll be more content when we see that last a little bit longer, right? Yeah. You know, we're, it hasn't been quite long enough to be fully confident, but it's, um, it's, it definitely seems like it's moving in the right direction. So I'm, I'm hoping optimistically that uh, that that persists and that we we kind of exit uh, exit 2023 with with a lot of positive news
0: and then maybe just one final question here but how do you guys see you know on, if you're looking at kind of the, the map of countries around the world that are you know kind of friendly to crypto or moving mm-hmm. in the right direction I mean, even coinbase had this blog post out last week where they're kind of like we're mm-hmm. interested in every country except the us <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that, yeah which is i guess not unexpected for coinbase to come up with a, a shot mm-hmm. like that at the stage in the game but um, you know, just kind of interested, interested in hearing how you see just Brazil on the map of, in relation to the map of other countries that are kind of moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., there's a ton of businesses that stemmed from crypto, right? And there still are a ton, and a lot of them are supporting markets outside of the U.S. Um, I think when I come down to Brazil, it's amazing. I almost feel like I'm in a different state because it's it's all positive conversations. I mean, it's not, not uh, some of the skeptic, or a lot of the skepticism that, that we're, that you have still in the United States, um, you don't really feel down here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say the same thing in a different way with some of the other markets around the world, but, um, but I, w- I wouldn't say, you know, all the businesses that we interact in with the US, I mean, they're still doing crypto, they're still servicing customers, despite the optics there. Right. Um, and I think it's a big part of the global economy. Um, there's a lot of really interesting things going on with interest rates and traditional markets right now. I'll be curious to see how that impacts crypto markets, but it's doing some things in the world that we've never seen before. So um, whenever we've seen that historically, there's tend to been some, some opportunities for the crypto ecosystem to break out. There's a ton of conversations going on around tokenizing traditional assets. That's us almost every company or regulator that I speak to yeah. that's on their agenda. Um, I mean, that's a long journey yeah, to figure yeah. out. But um, but the amount of companies that are working on it, I think it's safe to say that it's coming. Yeah. Right. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of projects that don't make it and, and don't get it right, but that happens whenever there's something that innovative that, yeah. that hits the world. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the the it's it's kind of funny that we've 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 gone full circle in crypto to where mm-hmm. tokenizing real world assets. Is and it's the, back now, you know, right? <laughs> it's like yeah. this is the this is like pre crypto. Right. We still we use real world assets, mm-hmm. and now you know, ten years in, we're Go back mm-hmm. to real world assets. Yeah. Right? And it's but, all the same
1: technology to support yeah. it is good or, or mostly the yeah. same technology, which I think is why a lot, of, a lot of traditional companies are maybe now a little bit cautious using the word crypto again, which is unfortunate because it's just a word. But um, and, uh, and when it comes to Bitcoin or Ether or some of the traditional crypto assets, and now they're kind of looking towards these other future tokenized assets. Um, but it's all the same technology, right? It's the same businesses that are going to support it and yeah. a lot of new ones as well, but it's, uh, I think it's very exciting and it's, uh, it's another thing that will, will change the future of, of finance for sure.
0: Yeah, and obviously the, whatever it is that's on the blockchain that's being tokenized, whether it's a, you know, just a digitally native thing or it's a mm-hmm. tokenized bushel of corn or something, mm-hmm. like your, your technology is Absolutely. It's, it's agnostic, the type of asset that's being- We
1: invested. have mapped over a million different types of assets that are all tokenized. in our uh, wow. in our in our various some of our qualitative our reference data set. Um, those aren't our all actively traded assets, right? But we've seen. I wouldn't even be able to tell you what all of the different <laughs> underlying assets are behind these tokens. Um, and uh, but it's uh, there's a ton of innovation. There's a lot of creativity out there, and and yeah. so and then the you know the the markets and the demand will will tell us over time which one of those are going to last and survive. Right. But. Uh, um, but it's it seems just like you said it, it's I think it will include bushels of corn and and all of the other things that people can come up with along the way right right um, well Robert uh, really great having
0: you on I'll turn it back to you for any final thoughts and uh, how can folks best get in touch with you or your team if they're interested in learning more
1: yeah just uh, uh, on our on our website Luca.tech. tech um, our, our our LinkedIn homepage is a great way to see some updates. We put out a lot of thought leadership and, and try to put out some, some educational type contents um, and would love to hear from you um, from any businesses that are operating in Brazil or, or around the world. And thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Great. Thank you. And uh, we'll have to catch up next time you're uh, on this side of the world. So. Definitely. All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening and we'll mm-hmm. see you next time on Brazil Crypto Report.